My name is Matt Sparaza. I'm Father Sam Kachuba, and we are joined today by Sean Forrest. Sean, how you doing, bud? Great. So awesome to bless you both with my presence. <laughs> it's really good <laughs> to see you. Peak. It can only go down after me. So that's actually true. Yep. That's actually if if you knew what my afternoon entailed, um, you know. <laughs> so they ping the big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so. Um, Sean, I'm really, I'm really glad to see you. I'm glad to have you on here. So this is where I, I feel like I'm, I'm bridging generations here because, Sean, you were my youth minister and are very influential in my own life, my own discernment of vocation to the priesthood. And then Matt was my student when he was in high school. So this is the, the bridge. I, I, am, I am it. I'm the bridge. You are th- uh, you're welcome. <laughs> now you know each other, and uh, it's because of me. I remember so. from that confirmation retreat. I think you got kicked out, but that's beside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> See, the thing is, both are possibilities, Matt. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> out the end, cry. Yeah, yeah. Because that's he got kicked out, or got yes, kicked out yeah, because yeah. he was crying. I mean, right, right, yeah. So good. All right. Well, obviously then, Sean, you did confirmation retreats. You've done youth ministry. Uh, you've spoken at Steubenville conferences. And uh, several years back, you started up Haiti 180. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Haiti 180 because I think it's such a powerful, uh, powerful thing. And as we're, as we're doing this interview, we've got a few uh, Haiti episodes planned. We're going to talk to Father Louis Morozny. We're going to talk to the Haitian Project and uh, just get some, some stuff out there, some awareness out there about the, the good things that are being done in Haiti, but also the real tremendous need that's there. Great. Yeah. Uh, 17 years ago is when we, Father Louis and I, he's the co-founder of the mission with me. Um, but it was 21 years ago when I first went to Haiti. Mm. I was just coming out of the old music, songwriting, performing, that whole world, money, party, drink, just the wild world. And so I just, I was really just reading the Bible. And I'm like, wow, God, he's talking about the poor. Man, he's talking about the poor again. Boy, Jesus is serious about the poor. And, uh, you know, I talk to people, they're like, well, you know, there's the spiritually poor too. And I'm like, yeah, definitely them. Like, he really means those poor, poor. <laughs> you know, it's spiritually poor, absolutely. But yeah, but people who are going to eat today, we got to do something about that. So I took it seriously. And uh, I just didn't know where to go. You know, like, what I found is so many people want to help the poor, but they just don't know how. Although like, I don't want to get robbed. I'd, I'd love to hand sandwiches out under that bridge, but that's scary. You know, um, so I lucked out. I just, I went to my pastor and I was like, hey man, I feel like God's calling me to work with the poor. And I'd heard uh, St. Mother Teresa say the poorest of the poor. And I'm like, that's it. I want to go where there is no hope. I mean, I don't mean spiritually, but I might, you're sick, you die. You're hungry, you die. You're thirsty, you die. I want to help them because we have poor in America, but not like me. There's hope here. There's soup kitchens. There's somebody, there's a place to go there. You got a five-year-old daughter. She doesn't even feed it. She dies. There's not a 911 you call. There's no soup kitchen. Just you die. So he said to me, he goes, you want to work at the poorest of the board? He goes, I'm leaving in about 10 days for the country of Haiti. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, do you want to go? I'm like, yes. I had no idea where it was. I didn't know if we were going to Africa, 
South America, and then he's like, it's France across the Florida. I'm like, is that close? Yeah, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So I went with him, and I was really nervous. And to make a long story short, uh, I think we have, what, three hours? Wow. Uh, at least, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> um, a very profound thing happened to me. I went there, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm an entertainer. And uh, I went to an orphanage. I said, I want to see an orphanage because I just figured I could save this entire country by playing my music. Um, so the- what musician hasn't had exactly that thought? You know? <laughs> so I'm like, at least I'll go over there, play guitar, bring joy. And I walked into an orphanage and there were about 300 kids and there were very few characters. And I walked in with my guitar and I started strumming and they wouldn't even look at me. They were facing the walls. I'm like, are they in trouble? And they're like, no, they just, uh, they, they're lethargic. And I tried to pick a couple and they all touch them, rub their head, go, Hey man, come on, let's play And Nothing. And they looked at me with, I don't know that this is just the word that came to me. Dead eyes. Someone's mm-hmm. staring at me, but there's no laid on, no joy, nothing. And what happened is, no, there are too many kids and not nobody's holding them or picking them up from infancy because these, God bless these caretakers, they're trying to feed them, clean them. Bathe, that's all they have time to do. Bring the food out. That's not like he games. It's, you know, there's nobody getting games going. Hold the, it, it was really sad. So they they never really had touch or the love of sensation. You know, so we humans, if we don't get that, we die. We start to die. Like the elderly, they die. Many of them because no one's holding their hand or reading them, reminding mm-hmm. them of their value. Um, and let's see, you know, with kids who are sick, right? The neonatal care units, the, the, let the parents at least go in with the gloves and hold the kid. And they do better when they're being held. If not, they don't thrive. They get sicker. So these, mm-hmm. That was the lot with these kids. And I was a little frustrated because I'm like, oh, man, I thought this was going to be this really cool epic moment. And... I started to walk away and I was like, well, I guess, all right, what are we going to do now? And this little kid got up from across the room and for some reason he just walked over me. I don't know how old he was, four, five. And he just stood right in front of me. And he put his hands on his hips and he's looking at me. And I'm like, what's up, little dude? And I went to pick him up and the director grabbed my arm and said, don't touch him. And I said, why? And he showed me his arms and he was covered with skeetings, which if you don't know, it's a, like a mite that gets under your skin and it burrows, leaving tracks and fecal matter and you can mm-hmm. tell because they, they try because they, they're on medicine they scrape the skin off their arms trying to get rid of them Oof. then he turned them over and he had open wounds on his back from laying on his back just like bed sore kind of things from in yeah. cement and i was like oh and he goes if you touch him you're gonna get sick because that's why we can't pick them up because we get it we can't help anybody and i was like oh my gosh so i just pat him on the head and i started to walk away and i got maybe two or three steps and god just convicted me and I'm going to say God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice. It was this deep thought that penetrated my heart. And God said, so I'll die for you on a cross and wear your sins, but you won't pick me up because you're afraid of a rash. And in that voice, I was hearing God ask me, do you really want to do this? Because it's not romantic. It's messy. It's dangerous. It's ugly. It's heartbreaking. And this little kid was looking at me going, well, you want to see the poor. This is what it looks like. What do you say? Um, 
So for good or ill, I'm usually a, I'm all in guy, you know? Um, <laughs> yep. So I just knelt down and picked him up and I said, I'm in. And so I grabbed him and he threw his arms around me and I just hugged him and he started to hold on really tight. And so I let go with my arms because I knew he could support himself and he was just dangling from my neck and I thought it was hysterical. And I started swinging him back and forth and I was going, ding dong, ding dong. And he laughed. <laughs> And when he did that, it was like a light switch. All the other kids just looked like, hey, that guy, hey, that looks like fun. And then they all ran at me. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> then I started playing with them. They're jumping on me. I'm hugging them and I'm covered in snot and ooze. And I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm going, this is so beautiful. And I'm definitely dying tonight from this. But this is. Well, <laughs> Sean Forrest, yeah. martyr. <laughs> martyr. I don't know if I can chase that. And um, and I never got scabies or anything from that. I don't know if it was divine protection, protection, but what I realized is it's like even if I had, who cares? I live in America. There's there's medicine for that. Yeah. I'm good. We're covered. If I'm hungry, I've got fast food. If I'm bored, I've got my cell phone. Uh, it, we can even help you die painlessly in America. We're okay. We're okay here. And so. It was this moment where God's like, do you really want to do this? Because I'm going to ask a lot. And I said, yes. And then I said, help me build an orphanage with maybe 40, 50 kids. And we'll create future leaders of faith for the country of hate. And he said, yes. And we did. Bought some land, started doing concerts and speaking. And money started coming in. I built an amazing team. Ah, my buddy Steve Medland has been there. My board of directors, just amazing. Emmanuel Declan, Father Lewis, his brother. He's, he's the director of the mission down there without him. It's not possible. And then from there, mm. we're like, we need to build a chapel. We need a place for it. So we built this gorgeous chapel. Whenever we build something in Haiti, it's, I don't build junk. I say, this is God's chapel. This is God's home. This is God's school. So we build nice things and the chapel's just gorgeous. Then we're like, now we have to educate these kids. And then it's a longer story than this. Then we put up the school. We have 400 kids and our school is one of the best in the state. It's amazing. Like, yeah, we have computer labs and stuff like that for these kids who never would have been able to go to school thanks to our donors. This is all God's grace, and obviously. Then we're like, man, the elderly are dying alone in huts. And I'm really talking a lot right now, but this is a really cool story. The elderly, when there's not enough food at one of the huts and they've got like five kids, the elderly will go off to like another little hut to die. And their grave is dug out already in front of them. And then there'll be like a little pine box above them. So they're just waiting to die so they don't take the resources. So we go and visit them and love on them. And they're laying there. Remember, we picked one lady up. There's snakes in her little mat. It's just like matted grass. And we're like, we have to do something about this. So we decided to build a house for the dying. And we would rescue them and pick them up. Or it would be an elderly person whose husband died or their, their children died and they're just laying there on a mat, skin and bones, waiting to die. And we pick them up, bring them to this new home, wait for them to die. But this is how cool God is. The kids in our orphanage, they're like, I want to see what's going on over there. So they come over and they started like talking to the elderly, sitting on their laps, um, started playing with them. And the elderly, they're getting a nice meal and they're singing and there's church and they're like, this is pretty cool. I'm not going to die. So it turned into a nursing home. It's a house, <laughs> and it's this really amazing place where these people they feel the dignity again of the person of who they are, and then we're like, 
well, people are sick and dying of things they shouldn't. So God bless us to be able to put up this incredible medical facility. Uh, it's huge. Dental care, eye care, emergency care. We have, uh, you know, portable x-ray machine, lab work, uh, vaccinations. And I'll tell you, man, from when I said, I'll do this, God, picking up that kid, I had no idea what God was saying. Like, do you really want to do this? Because had he done that, I like, I mean, just grab my guitar and run to a pub. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and then we build homes for people. We've brought over 2,000 missionaries to help build and have incredible encounter with the poorest of the poor. Mm. So, sorry, that just, I, I, all your listeners are asleep. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it starts with this, with this inspiration to first just to be in con- real contact with the poor. And then you take advantage of the opportunity to go to Haiti and you can't get away from the fact that Jesus really is present in the poorest of the poor. And, poor. you know, thank God he convicts you in that moment, because with that conviction, you're able to pick up that, that child. I mean, Mother Teresa would say that if it wasn't for that grace that God had given to her when she picked up the first person on the street in Calcutta, she never would have picked up however many mm-hmm. thousands or millions it ended up being, you know, yeah. if it wasn't for that, that first one that, that she picked up. So, I mean, it just, it really resonates to, to hear that. Um, Definitely. So when the, when the orphanage started, how many, how many kids did you have? And these are, these are orphan orphans, well, right? Like they've got no, no parents or what's right. the, well, what's the situation? It's rare to find a real orphan in need because there's okay. relations that go everywhere. So our kids, we try to take the worst need where like the dad died, the mom's there, but she's sick or she's not mentally capable or they were being abused in a home by an uncle or something like, so that we just rescue them and take them out, bring them up there. So we, I've always said, I don't want to walk faster than God is walking with me. Let's just build slow. So many people are like, you need to build another orphanage now. I'm like, no, I said, Let, let's drive deep, not wide. Let's make this thing perfect and reliable. Cause the bigger you get, more people you bring in, that's when stuff happens. Right now I know everybody, I trust everybody. I can see everything that's going on. And when it gets too big, that's, I believe sometimes that's ego driven. So we started with one kid and actually the day we we're supposed to open, um, we had the earthquake. Oh man. Yeah. So it was like, oh my God. I didn't know if that was your opening day. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No, it was supposed to be the day after the earthquake. I was in a gym on a treadmill, get ready to fly down there. And I get a phone call, there was an earthquake. And I'm like, oh, and then I find out, I'm like, are all my friends dead? Are all the buildings down? What's going on? And thanks yeah. to God, they were okay. There was some loss of life. And then I got down there as fast as I could. It was like driving through a war zone. It was, it was insane. Just fire building, yeah. 300,000 people estimated dead in about 15 seconds. Just terrible. So we're like, I hope this is, should we build any more buildings and have openings? I don't know. <laughs> it was off to a horrible start. But then, um, as time went by, we we brought him one kid, then three, then up to forty, and I I call it an orphanage because it helps fundraising, but it's not. It's a home for former orphans. It's really a home. Like these mm. kids take care of each other. I've posted videos of the older kids feeding the younger kids. We have kids with special needs because we're one of the few that will take them, and there's just a lot of love, a lot of caretakers, and it's. Everybody comes there and goes, this doesn't feel like an orphanage. I'm like, it's not. It's a home. It's really gorgeous. You said you, you said one, then two, then 40, but but how quickly did that happen? 
Uh, probably over a year process. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just because, I don't know, you had said, you know, you want to walk at the pace at which God is walking with you. And I, I just wasn't sure, like, the quant, the actual right. number, you know. Over right a year that it started to pick up. And, you know, then there's the, you know, when we are starting off, I remember saying to my buddy Steve Medlin saying, could you imagine if we could ever raise $20,000? That'd be incredible. So that's where we were at. So I'm like, can, we can't bring everybody in if we can't feed them. I, I got to get singing. I got to get speaking. I got to get out there. So I go back and forth, spend time here, spend time in here, spend time here, and I come back, tell the story, hope people's hearts will be moved. And Do you still do that? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'll be leaving January 6th to head back to the heat. And like, what, what's the difference in time? Are you six months, six months? Are you? Um, no, like two months. Too much just because of all the violence. I have to go when I got a window where I think I can actually make it. <laughs> Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Every time I get home, my wife just hugs me and says, "Thank God." I go, "That's oh, oh. the moment I get on that plane and to Haiti." Haiti, I say, "God, let me get there. Do your will. Please get me home." <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I snuck into your concert up in Hartford that you had a couple months back for the uh, for the Haiti one eighty fundraiser, <laughs> and it was it was great seeing. You're not supposed to sneak into fundraisers. I, I mean, I paid for a ticket. I. I paid oh, okay, for a ticket. Okay. I <laughs> I was gonna scalp it originally, but there wasn't a big line out the door, so there was nobody to scalp it to. <laughs> a couple bucks for gas from the collection plate. I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was really cool because uh, just seeing all the all these folks who were there, and and in that case, it was a Connecticut concert. So from your time being here in Connecticut doing youth ministry and uh, confirmation work and things like that. It was, it was great seeing all these people who, you know, I, I knew somehow from, from that whole history yeah. and, and that time. Uh, but then to see like, in part, that's who you're drawing on. And then it's, it's also all the strangers, the people who you've never met before uh, who hear the story and, and, and who want to help. And man, I didn't know half the stuff that you were doing and, and you had that video. We'll, we'll put links to the videos that you've oh, got about hey. it in our, in our show notes yeah. here um, so people can watch it. But I mean, there were, there were so many great stories coming out of that. So when you started the school, let, let's talk about the school because I think education is such an important thing. And, and we'll talk more about the importance of education in relation to poverty and some of our other, uh, Haiti episodes. But when, when you started the school, you said you've got 400 kids in the school. Now that's not just the kids. Obviously that's not just kids in the orphanage. Um, that's not just kids in in the home. Those are kids who are living in the, in the neighborhood. Um, how does that all happen? And, and, and what are you doing with, with giving education in a place where education is so needed? You know, it's funny. Some people will say, how did this happen in the the proof that it's God's is I go like this. I, I don't know. <laughs> it just happened. It was like God just provided everything. Like the school. How are we going to put up a school up in the mountains of Haiti and the earthquake happens? And this group from uh, Mexico, Unidos, Unidos por ellos, United for Others, contacts me from a friend of a friend. And they're like, uh, we want to make a donation. So Father Lewis and I fly down to Mexico City. And they uh, they gifted us this school. They sent it up there, tractor trailer truck, like getting up in the mountains. They get as far as they can. That's wild. Then you got to take off bits from that, put them in smaller trucks, and get everything up there. And the Haitian people are working butts so, off for it. Was like a, a modular building. Yeah, earthquake. So you're Earthly. just getting pieces of the. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. Like we had to build the foundation. I, you wouldn't believe the stones that we have lifted and moved and missionaries, but. 
this thing's amazing. So, you know, um, again, I, there'll be a little education. There might be a teacher who has a third grade education, somebody in the village teaching the little kids under, underneath the tree. But this thing is gorgeous now. You know, we, you know, we just 20 kids, 40, 100, 400, you know, it, it really doesn't, they have to pay, you have to pay something to go, but it's nothing. And they each get a meal. We feed about a thousand people every day from the school to the people in the village, um, a meal. So it's, it's, it's really something. And our teachers, God bless our teachers. They, before we had housing for them, they'd sleep in the classrooms, then clean themselves up, put the chairs okay. back and teach the kids. That's how much they believe and the mission, what's it, what it's doing. And, uh, and the bishop there loves us because he saw, he goes, ah, a man does not live by bread alone. You guys are proclaiming the gospel in this area. Mm-hmm. And our kids get to hear about the faith. And Emmanuel Declan, uh, Father Lewis, his brother, he's not only the director of the mission, but he's the director of that school. And he did, the, the guy's incredible, what he did with that school. Hiring the right teachers and his love for that educational piece that amazing. Are all your teachers in the school Haitian? Or are they coming from other places as missionaries? Uh, oh, Haitian. We have 100 Haitian employees. Wow. Yeah, so the only white people are me and me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have a sister there, Sister Florence, who's from Kenya. Um, she's the director of the orphanage. Amazing woman. Um, and that, then that's the key to all you, you can find the right person that you trust with your life to be in charge of something. That's, that's how it happens. And you can never compromise that. You have to trust your life with that person. That they're gonna, and, that, and that's what I found in these incredible people. Hmm. Exciting journey, man. It's, I, I really do. I look back and I go, wow. And you've heard this thing before, right? It's really funny. You know, if the Lord can't fight a cult, he'll use an ass. <laughs> it's, like, it's like God can do this through my yes to him oh my gosh what he can do through holy people would be incredible that's like um, I recently went down to the EWTN radio conference because Veritas is an affiliate um, and while I was there I don't remember who was telling the story but it was that Mother Angelica through prayer received from the Lord that she was not the first person he asked. Oh, wow. She was just the first person that said yes. That's amazing. You know, and it's that same idea. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, look at what they accomplished. I mean. Yeah, that's miraculous. You're talking about spreading the gospel across the world. Miraculous, miraculous courage. Just just truly incredible. But it's, uh, it's neat, like, what what's happened in Haiti for the Haitian people is incredible, right? They're, they're incredible people. They are so strong, courageous in their faith. I tell this, but remember, earthquake comes, kills hundreds of thousands of people. A month later, it's estimated 100,000 people are in the capital with their drums singing worship songs. And a reporter asked, why are you doing this? And they said, we want to show the devil we can shake the earth with our faith in God. Where, where wow. do you see that? Where do you see that? Yet the harder you yeah. hit these people, the more they pray, the devil has got to be so frustrated. You know, like this will show them they're praying. You've got to be kidding. You know, it's like incredible. And what they've done for the missionaries who've come over there, I would love someday to get people just to share their testimony. Can I give one example? Mm-hmm. 
Please. Yeah. yeah, of course. I brought a group, I won't say what state, of seniors from high school. And when we get there, I love to sit on the, the roof of our orphanage underneath the Haitian sky and, and the stars. It's beautiful. And I just want to find out what people are. Who are you here? What brought you here? Uh, do you have faith? And it was amazing to me how many people claim to be atheists or borderline uh, agnostic or something. And I asked them why. And they're like, well, with the suffering, well, why doesn't God do this? Why does he allow suffering this, this, this? And I, the first night, I don't like to try to teach and intellectualize things because they're just not ready for it. Um, but the next day, um, we go up to a hut. Kate, Katie Herman brought us up to this hut where there's a little girl, uh, really sick, maybe dying. And I just said, hey, there's a sick girl I want us all to go visit. Because I didn't want to give details who might be dying because they might panic and say, I don't want to go. I don't want to see this because it's their first day. I hiked them way up into the mountains far enough so that when I tell them, hey, you know, this girl could be dying, they wouldn't know their way back. So they had to stay. <laughs> so we get up there and the dad's outside and he's gardening. He's like, bonjour, like, bonjour, comment là, how are you? And we want to play with your, uh, we want to pray with your child. He's like, go on in. So it's just a straw, little hot dirt floor. And there's a girl laying with a white sheet. And she's on the dirt. We all go in. Got all the kids. And they're so uncomfortable. So like all tacked in there. And they're like, they're just talking, looking around. And I don't say anything on purpose. I just want to see what happens. I, I, I'm never afraid of awkward moments. I think the greatest stuff happens in the awkward. And finally, one guy goes, what are we supposed to do? And I just go, what do you want to do? And they're like, do you want us to pray? And I'm like, do you want to pray? Or I guess we could pray. I'm like, go ahead, pray. So the like, our Father who art in heaven, how be the name? The kingdom come to the earth. Amen. Then they're just looking around. Are we done? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Are you done? I'm like, we could pray again. He'll married for the grace of the Lord. All right, finished. And then they're looking at me again. And then they're like, pray Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. At that point, <laughs> like, let's see what happens. And then it's really uncomfortable. And then finally this girl comes over and she kneels next to this girl, touching her shoulder, and says, Dad, don't let this girl die. Please help her. Or at least don't let her be in pain. And she starts crying. Her friend comes over. What I didn't realize is this girl's dad died in a car accident. And she'd been mad at God and her father for leading to them and hadn't spoke to them in years. In this moment, now she's praying to her father and the kids saw this and they all knelt down and they started praying prayers. That blew my mind away. Tears. Wow. And then that girl, she'd covered her head because all these, you know, missionaries come in and they're like, what's going on? And she <laughs> brought it down, felt comfortable. We went up on the roof and I, there were no atheists that evening. Because they felt God in the midst of the suffering because they entered into the suffering. They didn't run from it and say, why? And he said, let me embrace this. And that's one of a million stories I could tell of being in the presence of the poor. How it- you know, th- but that idea of embracing the, the suffering, that's so important. Enter into it. It's easy to... It's so easy to sit there and, and get angry. We you just sit and watch what's, whatever's online. You watch the news, or you just you sit back, and it's easy to get mad and to kind of pontificate on that, and then to go off and and say, "Well, this is why I don't believe," because there's all this suffering. But you've never actually seen the suffering up close. There are people who have, obviously, but like for most of us, we're so insulated from it, so we can see it from a distance, and it looks really terrible. Right. But if we never actually go and and get into it. If we're never actually there with them in in the midst of it, uh, it, it doesn't 
it, it doesn't really resonate, but talk to anybody who works with the sick and the suffering and they find God so present there. Talk to anybody who works with the homeless and the, and the poor who's feeding the hungry. And there's a, there's a power in that work. There's something that they're experiencing there where, yeah, poverty is terrible. And, and sure, these are people who are going to be angry about the injustice of that poverty and of that, of that hunger, but they're also joyful <laughs> in meeting the people who are suffering. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I, on every trip, I say enter in, enter into it. But I'm convinced so much anxiety, depression, and fear in our world is we, we've been trained to avoid it, avoid pain, avoid suffering, and that brings about an even greater pain. And we just live our lives uh, living the world through TikTok, um, and that I, I, I just don't know how. And I'm, I'm a sinner, man. I'm a great sinner. I I go like this. There are times when I will have a bourbon instead of a prayer life there are times where I will numb myself with TV. So I don't profess to be, I'm not a mother Teresa missionary. I'm a John Forrest, a cigar smoking rum drinking missionary. State almost, right? So I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. If they're looking for it, um, I will let you down. I already have, you just don't know about it yet. I'm a sinner. Um, but I just don't know, honestly, how if we're followers of Christ, we can sleep well if we don't know the name of a homeless person, one, hmm. or somebody suffering. I don't get. I don't. I don't get it. Or at least be praying for them constantly. Like you see all this and be like, "Well, all right, click TV. All right, I'm going to bed. I slept like a baby. I'm like going. I, I, I. It's always baffled me. Uh, you know, we're all singing church yeah. together, and it's like that's why we, when people ask me to join men's group, I have questions for them. Mm. I say, do you just sit around, talk chesty chin, and drink whiskey, and everybody talks about how smart they are? What kind of I'm not give me a, a men's group where the guy holding the sciences will work for food? You go up and say, come to our men's group, we'll feed you, mm. right? Because then what happens? You talk about that in the men's group, and there's going to be that one person who says, well, what if it, what if he's dangerous? All right, now we're getting somewhere. Well, what if he's not? Well, what if he smells? Yeah, you're going to have to give him a bath. Well, he'll need clothes. Now you got to give him your clothes. Now you're entering into it. I'm interested in what you guys have to talk about. This is a cool men's group. This would be fun to me. That's a, that's a cool idea. Right? But, but yeah. it's have you ever yeah. Have you ever encountered any men's group that's done that? No, but I, you know, I've, it's, I haven't seen many, but I'm, I have to believe there's some, I have to believe there's some, but it's like, if we just, I, I, I have this phrase, I say spiritual gluttons. We've got our men's groups, you know, we've got our mass, which is the source and summit of our faith, our life, everything. Um, we've got our, our Catholic worship leaders, songs and go to these concerts to raise our hands up. And I try to tell people sometimes. I'm not sure God can see your hands if they're not dirty and calloused. Because mm. we have a lot of hearers of the word, I believe, sometimes, but not doers of the word. It's like, I'm not feeling anything. I need a new song. I'm not feeling anything. <laughs> God, I'm writing another book because I'm not feeling it anymore. You know, it's God. I'm be like, you do it. You go, you, you, you got to go out and do it. And, and then he'd write another book anyway, because because he that's what he does. Thank for us. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I read them all. I had this I had this mom in a student conference. Bring her son up to me. 
And the kid just looked dejected. And she goes, this is his fourth conference, and this is our third time seeing you. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, you want to be here? He's like, ah, they're okay, but I just don't want He goes, I'm just bored. And I looked at the mom, and, I, and she goes, I have to keep bringing them to things to pump them up. And I said, do me a favor. Don't bring them to another conference. Bring them on a mission trip. Let him finally put into practice the things he's been hearing about. You know, we sit up there and yeah. listen uh, you know, Jesus, God, sacrifice, all those things. But yet it drives me crazy on confirmation retreats. What were your service hours? I had to set up the uh, chairs for the Knights of Columbus coffee shop. That was your service hours? Yeah. Did you meet a poor person? Did you order an elderly? No. Um, no. It's like, we don't, it's like being on a football team and all you do is practice and you never have a game. You don't want to be on that team. And I feel that's sometimes the American church. It's like, it's too clean. It's too safe. And therefore, we're missing the fact that this is the most exciting, dangerous faith in the world because you have to allow yourself to be hurt, rejected, maybe even killed for the gospel. Hmm. Wow. Did you feel that? Yeah. Woo! Someone is speaking. <laughs> but that's exactly the idea that it's, it's, it's intimidating, right? It's such an intimidating thought to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there to possibly be rejected or to have have something like this go wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think it's but and, but I think it goes past just that rejection. I I mean to me, right? That's kind of what you're saying, Sean, you know, it's not All right, so I will like I'll be upfront like I probably don't serve the poor enough. Right? And and this is something I mean honestly it's it's really quite timely. Uh, I went to a, I went to confession. Father has told me before that I shouldn't confess my sins in the air, but that's okay. Um, and and I and I went to I, on the air. I mean, like he should confess his sins in confession. Yeah. Just you know, we don't have to record them for everybody but, for all of. Posterity. But instead, yeah. I'm going to tell everyone, and it's going to stick around forever. Yeah, um, great. It's like the opposite of of when Scott Hahn talked about his his grandson ripping it up and saying, "So long, suckers." I just tell everyone, and yeah. it stays forever. Um, <laughs> We can just bleep this entire session. It's like one long. They just think I'm cursing the whole time. Um, It's it's yeah right. We're testing the emergency broadcast system right now. No, but I in in confession by during my examination of conscience, one of the things that I confessed is that I think I'm basically, and this is pride too, right? I think that I'm really good at the spiritual works of mercy and terrible at the corporal works of mercy, Mm. right? And I recognized Mm. how uh, how disintegrated that is. Right, because there is no such thing as you're good at the spiritual works of mercy and you're crappy at the corporal works of mercy. <laughs> it's like you're just not doing it. You know, you're not you're not doing the Christian life if you aren't practicing both. Mm. Right, it's not an either or. You don't get to pick spiritual or corporal works. Right, you have to instruct the ignorant and feed the poor. You know, and and yeah. Earlier in this show, you were like, "Well, you know, what if I get robbed?" And it's like, you are calling me out, man. You know, because like, I get that. You know, I grew up in a mostly affluent area, you know? And so it's like, it's easy to come up with an excuse to ignore those who need help. To your defense a little bit, I mean, I think you get this. It's like, not Don't defend me. (laughs) What's that? I said, don't defend me. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the end, it's going to be another slam. So buckle up. Oh, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, not everybody's called to be a missionary in Haiti, right? But we're all called right. to be missionaries. I mean, even the spiritual, it's like who invites their neighbor to church anymore, right? Right. Or, right. Or, 
We have. I'm, I like I'm a CCD teacher, you know, and so I I, I recognize the value in what I, in what I'm doing. I'm perhaps I am being right. too hard on myself, but yeah, right, you know. So I'm I'm not saying like, oh, you're not doing both. Well, you might as well quit both, you know. Right. Well, I mean, you can't. It can't be 100. percent I'm helping the poor. 100. percent You know. You. It's right. You know. Sometimes I stink. My, my prayer life stinks, and spiritually myself, I stink. You know, and I can't rely on, well, I built an orphanage, so I'm going to heaven, but I started a drug ring right. over here. You know, it doesn't work like that, <laughs> right. you know? Right. Um, so it, it, it's one of those things. But if they're never on your mind, I just go, you never read the Gospels. Then. Yeah. Because mm. uh, it was big on God's mind. Right. It's an essential point. Yeah. The fringe, the people on the fringe. Right. Um, and yeah. th- that makes us uncomfortable as Americans. Yeah, I agree. With you. You know, I, have you ever heard this, this story? This, Fire. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have That's you ever heard point. the story of? Because uh, I, I think this is a common misconception as well, um, and and this was helpful for me when I heard it. Uh, it is a story. I think it's from the biography of Fulton Sheen, written by his his niece or his great niece or something. Oh, wow. um, and she she spoke about how right he was the Archbishop of of New York, right? Mm-hmm. So he obviously walked in some impoverished areas. Um, literally right and and he would walk and someone would ask him for money and he would give them money and this this person said to him like how would how could you do that you don't know what they're going to use it for and he said and this is what stuck with me he turned to her and he said i can't take that risk yeah. and i think it, and it, yeah. it like turns it on a head right because that's the thing that stops us we say oh i can't give money to this poor person maybe they'll use it for drugs i can't take that risk it's, it's one of the it's one of the hardest things, and, right. and he he says exactly that. And he so he he wasn't arch he lived in New York, but he wasn't the Archbishop of New York. He okay. was uh, he was an Archbishop because he was the head of the Society for the Propagation of the Faith. So basically, his job was to promote missions okay. Okay. and missionary activity. Right. Okay. So he had a great heart for the oh, poor for um, me. and the like the suffering poor throughout the world. Um, but to exactly that point, Matt, like he would always have money in his pocket because he knew that he was going to encounter somebody who needed something. So he, no matter what, he gave people money um, because he didn't want to take the risk that one day it was Jesus he was turning away. Right. He wanted to make sure that he always had something that, that he could give. And it was with this intention. It wasn't like a... Like I habitually have a dollar in my pocket so that I can get the bum who's panhandling to get away from me. It was like intentionally, this money is for Jesus. And I'm going to carry it with me so that I can give it to Jesus when wow. I meet him. Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's an yeah. awesome thing. And if we have an attitude like that, it, it's amazing. But what I was thinking about, Sean, is. Thank you for instructing um, the ignorant father. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, no, I'm thinking about the the risk of going out and serving the poor and, and realizing that it's going to make your hands dirty uh, it's gonna it's gonna get you some calluses. We have the joke in the priesthood of saying these hands are for chalices, not calluses. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a terrible joke, and and none of us actually mean it. But <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible joke. It's just oh a joke, God. folks. I promise. We're just teasing. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but like that that risk that this is gonna require something of your blood, sweat, and tears. And there's the times when it's received really well. Uh, you know, how many times, Sean, have you seen somebody poor in Haiti who's grateful that you came to visit? 
or that you brought somebody to them or that you helped them to rebuild their house or, you know, that you see the joy and the gratitude oh, yeah. in, the, in the faces of the people who you serve, right? And a gratefulness I've never seen anywhere else. But how many times have you encountered the ingratitude or the opposition, even like from the people that you're trying to serve? I'm trying to help you. Uh, you ever, you ever have that experience? Occasionally. Occasionally, yes. There's this woman we're trying to bring to our elderly home because she was dying out there and she refused and she and she sent her dog after us. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember working with the Missionaries of Charity and they had an AIDS hospice that I was uh, helping them in. And one of the men there had, uh, he had one hand that was paralyzed, but his, his right hand was still good. And so I was we had to put him in bed and when you put him in bed you had to tell him to put his hand on his chest because otherwise he would like grab if 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 somebody had like a, a necklace or, or longer hair he'd grab at their hair or he'd just like swing and start punching and stuff so we're putting him in into bed and i forgot to tell him to put his hand on his chest and as soon as we get him in the bed he just wails on my face Don't. open hand slap as hard as you could possibly hit and this guy you know before he got sick he was a very strong human being oh and man so he still had some of that strength he i saw stars i couldn't hear well, out of one ear i mean he he just smacked the absolute crap out of my face <laughs> and then he laughed <laughs> he hit me in the face and he laughed hysterically the other volunteers also laughed at me because they knew that i did this to myself <laughs> but it was one of those moments i one was I wanted to be mad, but I couldn't. Yeah. It was like, it was one of the, like, I want to yell at you, but like, I, I can't even find words to yell at you because <laughs> that was actually kind of funny. That was actually kind of funny. Like, you know exactly what's supposed to happen and you're just showing me that. It, so in, in that case, it was a guy who also wasn't all there right. mentally. Yeah, right. You know, who was doing How can you hold responsible? I'm, I'm going to yeah. use that. I'm not all there. <laughs> you're just going <laughs> to smack me? <laughs> I'm not all there. It can work, you know, but then like the next week I'm in their soup kitchen uh, with the sisters and there's a lady and she's asking for some, uh, for some stuff to take with her. We only had a little bit of food left. So I give her like this little bit and this guy comes over and like pushes her out of the way and says, I want that. I said, I'm sorry. She's, she's going to take it. And he grabbed everything out of my hands and threw it across the room and started yelling at me. Jeez. I was like, uh, I didn't really train for this one. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I was still in the seminary at the time, so this is a long time ago. Like, I, I didn't really train for this. I'm not sure what to do. And he he starts yelling. And as he's standing there yelling, I see a fist come over my shoulder. And it was one of the other volunteers who himself used to be homeless. And he just punches this guy straight in the jaw. The guy hits the floor. His head bounces right off the concrete floor. Wow. And I'm like, oh, I think, I think we just killed him. <laughs> the guy gets up. But it was like the most heartbreaking thing because he gets up and he's still like, he's still so angry and, and muttering these threats. And my, my volunteer protector comes running out, grabs the guy by the back of the shirt, lifts him off the ground and bum rushed him out the door. Wow. Wow. And he's like, he come, he came back in and he's so, he's so mad. And I said, all right, you got to go sit down and calm down. He goes, no, nobody can do that in this place. That's what, that's not what this right. is for. And so he was protecting. Right like what the, what this place was supposed to be about, which was to serve those who are in need. Um, but he said, they need to know that they have to come in here with the right idea too. 
And I always contrast that moment because that was really kind of a scary moment. There's this other guy who came in, not entirely in his right mind, but he was like a giant guy who's kind of like your size, Sean. Like he's well over six feet tall, big dude. And he came in and he's just going nuts. He's yelling and screaming. And this little missionary charity comes out and she's about five feet tall and she stands toe to toe with him and she looks straight up at him and she says, hey, and he looks down, like completely down and she's sit down. And he sits down. He's still a foot taller than her when he's sitting. (laughs) And he sits down and she says, you can't do that in here. If you keep doing that, you're going to have to leave and you won't be allowed back in. Now, would you like to stay and have dinner? Or would you like me to take you to the door and send you home? And he said, please don't make me leave, sister. I'll be good. (laughs) Wow. This giant, like violent man. (laughs) And sister just meets him with with this love, but also a firmness, like... Just because you're homeless, just because you're poor, doesn't mean you get to walk all over me and take advantage of me. I'm, I'm going to meet you right here. And then for the rest of the, the time that he was there, he, he ate his food. And then he got up and he, he brought his plate over and put it on the counter. And he asked for a broom and he started sweeping the floor. And as he's sweeping the floor, he said, sister, look, I'm going to help you. <laughs> and he, he, like, he wanted to prove himself. And I was like, okay, here's a guy who came in not behaving, not doing what he's supposed to do. But now... Now he's like something is changing in his heart, yeah. and I think that that's the beauty of of that service to the poor. But also, like it's something we've kind of got to be ready for. That sometimes the poor don't really want exactly what we're giving yeah. them. So, but we can't always give them the thing that they want. You're revealing just or the way that they you're want. revealing just how amazing Christ is. Because would you go on a mission trip if the people hated you? If they yeah. spit on you while you're doing all that stuff, you know that's that's. I don't think I'd be bringing many people on mission trips. Listen, they're going to spit on you. They're going to hate you. They're going to be cursing you the whole time. It's like, but that's what Christ did. And he told us that's what was going to happen if we follow him. (laughs) It's like he he pretended like, oh, they're going to love you. They're going to make billboards all about you. No, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to beat you and they're going to kill you. You would have thought that was the worst promo for it. (laughs) And you're out here calling it an orphanage. Who's with me? (laughs) <laughs> but uh i you know we've got this one life it's 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 short man i'm i'm pushing 60 right i'm 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 in the back end of this thing coming in and i just if i can give just a shout out to speakers to people who write books and all these things um an encouragement of saying Don't just tell the stories of the saints. Become one by entering into the poverty of others, the people on the French. And then you'll be telling your own stories about you, about what God has been doing through you and what you witnessed with your own own eyes. Because it's great, the stories of the saints, but we need new ones. And it is, and I'm just saying, it's a saintly thing to stay at home with your children and raise them. That's a beautiful thing. Um, sometimes I, I believe it's harder to be a dad today in America than it is to be a missionary who's everything's paid for. You know, you can leave, you can make vacations, but being a dad in America is really hard. You have, you got to be on every day. You mess up, you get fired, your kids get hungry. Yet there's all these temptations on the internet that, that a lot of these people don't have. So, I'm, but I'm just saying with this short time we have, um, enter into the mess and, it's going to be a lot easier to come up with material and your writings will be even more inspired and your stories and the songs that you write will be even more inspirational than 
thinking of St. Francis and what he said, like, oh, wait a second. I know this community that I'm singing for. I know this community that I go read my books to in this nursing home. And the stories flood um, from, from, you know, faith without works is dead. Um, and not just faith and believing in Jesus, but, you know, believe in Jesus, love in Jesus. But if you do that, naturally, you're going to want to be present to the people on the fringe, the lost, the lowly, the forgotten, and be there for them. And if we're not, then we got to be careful if we're using our ministries as a means to make money for our family while doing and saying nice things. Mm. That's a dangerous thing working for God. A lot of us go to hell. <laughs> Possibly. God's mission. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah, hey, I'm, wor- I'm working for the Lord. I'm doing all this, and it's great, and I'm going to stay in this job because I need the money, even though I'm not doing a good job at it. And I've become tired and lax in my work. It's like we're accountable for all this stuff, just like I'm accountable for every penny that goes to the poor in Haiti, um, for every soul. So it's, it's we can never be bored. We can be tired. We can be beat up, but we can't be bored. Now, yeah. we, yeah. we have to be full of material from doing the works. Yeah, you're trying to make Matt feel better before, and you said not not everybody's called to be a missionary in Haiti. Right. right, but like we we all have that capacity to respond to the needs of the poor, um, and you said before too that you have that tendency to go all in a hundred percent and just to dive in fully. What advice do you give to people who are feeling convicted of their need to to serve the poor, to take care of people, to to do something more than what they've done up to now, uh, but aren't sure exactly how to go about it or how to discern what is it that God wants me to do? Yeah. Uh, does he want me to like be that missionary in Haiti? Does he want me to like take care of the person down the street here? Remember that second part of your question? I want to address the first part, okay? Um, yeah. First part is, as a church, we need to do so much better at setting up opportunities for people to be able to help yeah. the poor. Because they're like, well, where, yeah. where do I turn to? Well, all right, there's the giving tree. I can do that. But who's really poor in our neighborhood? The churches should know this. Who's the family that's struggling? Yeah. Who's this guy struggles this, 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 and then plug them into these places where they can help. And a lot of places don't do that. It's like just give us your arms and we'll take care of it. It's like you want a thriving church. I mean, so many of the churches that brought people on mission trips with us, their church boomed when these people came back with their stories and how fired up they were. So it, so create space for them to be able to plug into something. Do the hard work for them. You can you can soup kitchen. Here's a family that needs money for this. The elderly home needs readers for this. Um, um, these babies need to be held here. I mean, there's the harvest is great and the labors are few, but people are busy with work and all that stuff, and it's like they don't have time to go online. And like we should, as a church, have that already set up. You made another great point about um, pray first. Like God, is this really what you want me to do, or am I just feeling guilty because I've had a crummy month? Because I've also had missionaries come over feeling bad about their lives because, boy, I'm a big sinner, but I'll do this, and this will make me feel good about myself. And that's the worst attitude to come over in because now you're in a reception mode and not a giving. or a seating mode instead of giving. Uh, yeah. Like, well, I go over because I just feel so good when I come on. Well, that's great. I'm glad the, I'm glad the poor help you with your conscience. That's great. Um, and then there was another part you were asking me. Um, what they can do. Um, if we're trying to figure out like, all right, I, I feel convicted. Like I've got to go do something. I've got to, I've got to step out. Um, 
where do I do it? Do I, do I go looking to Haiti or some other country or do I start local? And how do I figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do? Like, how is it that God is asking me to enter into that circle? This is one thing I've said to people on the roof up in Haiti. I say, it's really easy to go on Haiti to, to Haiti for a week and be a good missionary and come home and have your pictures and put them up holding your Haitian children and everybody says wonderful things. Like a woman, but remember, Christ says love your neighbor, right? That's harder because your neighbor is your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your next door neighbor, that person you can't stand. That's harder because you have to deal with them day after day. That's a harder mission. <laughs> so I always say, have you visited your grandmother when I talk to the kids? No. Have you called them? No. Then why, why are you talking to this old lady in a hut here if you won't even talk to your own grandmother? So do you really want to be a missionary? So let, let it start there. Call your grandma, visit her, talk to her, and let that soften your heart so that you can really go be a missionary. And now you'll know if you're BSing yourself. Because if you're not going to take the time to your beautiful grandmother, grandfather, little brother, have you have you told your little brother about the gospel? Have you brought him to Mass? If you're not doing those things, this is just kind of an escape for you, I believe. It can, though, when you come over, soften your heart so that you go back and want to help your family more, too. So it does work both ways. But it's a challenge to people. Love your neighbor. That's hard. You know, it reminds me of... Um... It's a thing that uh, I heard originally. I don't know where I originally heard it, but it was it's it's the idea that like moms groups will say, "I do feed the poor, I do clothe the naked, I do, you know, give drink to the thirsty," and they're talking about their babies or their kids. Right. Um, and and well, I, if I didn't feed them and clothe them, they'd be naked. And right. Right. You know, and it's it's logical. And the thing is, like. I mean, when I've heard that, admittedly, I've been like, come on, you know what I mean? But then I had a six-month-old son, <laughs> and, and and my wife and I have this joke. <laughs> yeah, we have this joke that we are becoming saints one diaper at a time. Yeah. Um. And and it's a joke, and also I'm 100% serious. I'm pretty sure I'm becoming a saint one diaper at a time because, like, it is – I'm <laughs> – like, I struggle with it. I just do. I'm just being honest, you know? Um. And so I think there's, I think what you're saying, I guess I'm just trying to affirm it. You know, like, I think there's a lot of value. You opened my eyes just now that my uh, condescending attitude to those people that would say, oh, I do this, I do this, I do this. It's with my family. It's like, that's not strictly speaking nothing. You know what I mean? Like, perhaps it is only the starting point, but it is the starting point. You know, and and then maybe it's even the end goal because you go to the mission and then you come back and that's where you're at. You're actually living the Christian life in yeah. your community, which is your family, right? And it really is the end goal. You know, it's like yeah. So so there's a lot of value to that. Um, anyway, no, just, you're right you know, on. Our first goal is to get ourselves into heaven, right? Us and God, right? And our spouse, then our children, and then anything outside of that. So. You'll often find people, I'm so busy saving the world, and then their kids are all struggling, all messed up, because you weren't there. Right. It's a hero complex, basically. Yeah. And so that, so it's funny. You ever been to a cemetery, you see the people build those giant um, statues to themselves, but they're so old, you can't read the name anymore. The greatest legacy we're ever going to leave is just generations of believers in Christ who love the poor and love the lost and, and, and stand up for them. Because that's going to go on a lot longer, and it's going to be remembered and seen more than I built my right. business up, 
here's my statue. And it's like, what's your family dies? Nobody cares about that business and all that stuff. But your kids have faith. I mean, God bless you for, for knowing that, man. Taking care of your kids, being present with them. And maybe it's, hey, I don't have time to go on a mission because I've been working so hard. I, I got to be my kid. That's the yeah. better call, always. Right. Mm, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's the higher good. And that idea of going someplace, though, on mission as like the, this opens my eyes, this helps me understand better. Uh, to me, that that's always been an important piece of, especially for kids, you take your high school students on a mission trip and let them experience service away from home, away from their regular environment where it's it's really up to them. They don't have mom or dad pushing them necessarily, unless mom or dad is also chaperoning the mission trip, but like they just kind of have to go and do it. And so they're they're left to their own devices. But that might be the first place that they realize that they can actually make a difference, where yeah. they can actually help. And then they come home, and it's now having come home with that experience under their belt, with that experience as, as part mm-hmm. of their uh, their life now, that they can start to look and see the places where they might be able to serve. Uh, they can start to see closer to home, right in their own backyard, even mm-hmm. in their home, the places yeah. where, where God's asking them to serve. And yeah. when you get out there, like in our place, yourself, there's no cell phone. So you can hear again. You, you can see again. And the kids, I have some of the kids cry, like, I want to use my phone again. And this was just so nice because they detoxed and they were with the poor yeah. and they could feel God working through them. And up, and I've had families come on mission trips. Oh my gosh. Talk about a magical vacation, right? You know, just, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have to get mouse ears. They uh, fed somebody <laughs> hadn't eaten in two days and, Boy, that was the better part. Um, yeah. You know th- that time together and that kind of intense environment, but beautiful and kind and worshiping with them. I, I mean, that's that's something your family remembers forever. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so good. Well. Um, I apologize. I have to go uh, take care of the poor in a different capacity. It's uh, the confirmation kids. Uh, <laughs> different, Instructing different the ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're doing we're doing Q and A. Uh, they can ask the priest anything. Oh, so awesome. we'll see. We'll see what this one turns yeah, up. It should be good. fun. <laughs> it should be a fun time. Uh, but Sean, thank you so much. I don't um, want- how can people how can people donate to you and uh, support the work that you're doing? In Great. Haiti? So give your money to Sean Forrest. NeedsCard.com. No. Uh, so our organization is Haiti180.com. Haiti, H-A-I-T-I, 180, Haiti180.com. They'll bring to our website $15 a month. That's it. If you do that, you become a Team 180 member, send you a picture of the kid. I send those video updates that you've been getting because I know you support us, Father. And we'll, we'll, so mm-hmm. 15 bucks a month. And uh, basically, if... If you're Catholic, it's a beer a week. If you're Protestant, it's it's a cup of tea. So <laughs> eat, eat whatever it takes, whatever it takes. What's great is right before we started recording, Matt was like, "I have to go refill my tea." <laughs> so. But I mean, those those donations help tremendously for us. We're a small organization that God's doing really cool things to. So, man, well, if you're listening to this, I'm asking you just turn that into action. If you'll go visit our website and help us out, it'd be great. And one day you're coming over on a mission trip with me. I definitely well, want to come on a mission me. trip. And when your time's right, you know, you yeah. got all the kids. And I, was like, I want to do Heck it. Heck yeah, man. 
Yeah. Although I don't know if I can give you the $15 a month anymore because you talked about it now and I'm not supposed to let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> well, I'll just. He might just have I'll to. Just have up your it. wallet for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joke's on you. I don't have any cash. <laughs> I really. I'm a Bitcoin bro. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> kidding i don't i don't understand that stuff. anyway sean dude it this is great um it's it's so good to have you here um and thanks so much for what you're yeah. doing in haiti and uh, we look forward to, to promoting this and, and getting people uh into the into that mission awesome. god bless you both and man thanks for everything thanks. you're doing pray for your priests everybody pray for your priests thanks for that i right, love you guys awesome see you welcome to the outro i'm gonna open with this he, You're gonna uh, open the outro. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm open our closing. I had not, <laughs> I had not thought of replacing family vacation with family pilgrimages or family mission trips mm. before, uh, and I now know that's something I absolutely want to do. I think it's a, it's a great idea. I I am gonna say you should talk to Renee about it. She, I, I already know she'll, she'll be, be on board. Her. Of course she will. Yeah. But like, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, things. obviously, obviously we'll figure out the logistics later. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't like unilaterally say, hey, Renee, surprise, we're going to We're going to Haiti. <laughs> Forget a vacation this year, what we're going to do instead. But it is, You wanted to go on a trip with your parents? Too bad. <laughs> but it is a great idea. I love that. I love that thought. Yeah. Let's do something where we're we're offering ourselves in, in service in some way. Um, but also that, I mean, it's exactly what he was saying. That is the highest form of catechesis. So for example, right, to draw an a- analogy, um, I'm reading a book called Atomic Habits right now. Mm-hmm. And it's all about small changes in order to create new habits. And and in the third part of his book, he talks about how the key to creating a new habit is repetition, right? And so ultimately, if you boil that down, it's basically just experiential learning. Right, so it's like, what is the best way to catechize my son? Obviously, when he's older, right? But best way to catechize my son to do it with him. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we going on this trip? Here's why. Yeah, and then experience it, and now it reinforces the the teaching. And honestly, one of the great things. All right, so uh, taking the family on a on a mission trip, someplace where you're going to be doing service, is a little bit different in that. You've got a lot of. Uh, there's going to be the the harder work aspect of it, but like if you're taking your family for a family pilgrimage, let's say, a pilgrimage is not that dissimilar to vacation. It's just that I know you can it do it point. on a cruise. Yeah, exactly. You're making right. you're making a point to go and, and visit holy places and to pray. So you're consecrating every day to God. But like, look, a pilgrimage to Rome. You're eating really well during that pilgrimage. You're seeing really some good great food. historical yeah. sites. Also, it's yes. it's also yes. a lot of vacation. <laughs> you know, but which isn't to say that it's not valuable. Exactly, it's still a pilgrimage, and right. it's an important one. Um, right, I'm I'm planning to make a pilgrimage to Rome in 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 this calendar year. I can't wait. So That's I'm, awesome. I'm really I can't wait to it. join you. Yeah. We'll do a live episode yes. from the Vatican. We so <laughs> should. I'll um, pitch it to Steve Lee. <laughs> And he'll pay for it. No. <laughs> but um, there's something else I just wanted to say before we before we wrap this up. That um, and I it, we didn't have time because we really wanted to focus on Haiti 180. But yeah, uh, if if you ever want to know why I'm a priest, Sean Forrest is largely the reason. I mean, God called me and, and God had a plan. But the reason that I was able to hear that call in the first place was because Sean invested in my life, like. Hmm. 
Sean took me under his wing when I was in eighth grade coming into high school. And he encouraged me with participating in the youth group, encouraged me to grow in my faith, introduced me to mm-hmm. Eucharistic adoration, um, and, and was just a constant friend and support that I, I knew I could go to with, with questions. He's hugely influential for me. Um, and so when Sean talks about all this stuff that he's, that he's, he's doing in, in Haiti, uh, when he talks about being all in and, and all this stuff, I can tell you from my own experience with him that that's, that's all real. That's who he is. That's how he approaches things, and and what an enormous enormous difference he's made. Um, so I'm I'm excited that I've had the chance to get him on this podcast and talk to yeah, him. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, because he's really. Yeah, he's it's such just a good that guy. I talk to my Sean Forrest every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> bridge in the gap. Just just trying bridge to build, in the gap. Just trying to build that bridge. You know. All right, man. I gotta go uh, talk to the confirmation kids. All right. Hey. God bless. Peace. You. Peace. Bye. Hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the Tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.